The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. God's word today comes from St. Paul's uh, second letter to the Corinthians. And uh, as you might have picked up already from what Josh said, this is not going to sound like good news, but he's going to help you understand how it really is good news, okay? In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind, Paul says, to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. This is God's word for today. Would you all pray with me? Oh, if our Lord, you're a good God. You're a God who... Um, calls us to a life uh, that you promise is filled with life. Lord, we pray that as we explore what that looks like today, that we come a little bit closer to you. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So my wife and I have divvied up chores like every family does. Uh, In some ways, we gender swap what you would typically think. My wife is normally the one on the tractor. That's one of her favorite things. We got a John Deere used one from Tanner's dad, and so she gets out there and mows the lawn. Uh, She takes care of almost all the stuff in the lawn. Uh, And I take care of the grocery shopping. And how we grocery shop is she'll put together a wonder list. I'm not sure if you've seen those on an app, but it's essentially a living cloud-based list that she can post at any time, and it pings my phone and says, don't forget to pick up this, which is great, because if you spend any amount of time with me, you realize I forget all kinds of stuff. So this list is my lifesaver, right? And a couple months ago, we got a puppy, and she said, we're going to need more paper towels, so paper towels were on the list. So I was at Walmart. And I had in my hands the generic paper towels, and I had in my hands the bounty paper towels. And I sat there for five minutes looking at these two sets of paper towels thinking, is it really worth the extra $2? Are we going to save money? Are we going to lose money? What's the best thing here? After five minutes of being paralyzed by this decision, I literally looked up and said out loud, I used to have dreams. 
right? Now, both, that was terrifying for the 70-year-old lady next to me who had no context for this other than some grown man was speaking out loud. I used to have dreams, and I kid you not, she just quietly slinked away like, I don't want any part of this, whatever this is, right? But there was like a deeper issue with me, right? It was that realization of like, I am debating what kind of paper towel I'm going to get. What went wrong, right? This wasn't me at 16, 17, 18 years old. If you said, hey, Josh, in 17 years, where do you think you're going to be? I would not have said at Walmart with this paper towel dilemma, right? It's that Days Go By song, right? Who lives in this big house? Who has this beautiful wife? How did I get here, right? Because we have these ideas, we have these dreams of what we want, and then life happens, and it's not a bad life, right? I like my life. I'm not angry about it. I'm not judgmental about it. I'm not like, I could have done this, but here I am looking at it. It's not that. It's just it's kind of mundane. You get into the rhythm of being with family or taking care of the yard or doing the nine to five, right? And then it, there's this disconnect with what you used to think about. And I bring that up because we've been going through the values of Acts. And to be completely honest with you, two years ago now, when I was debating the call to come here, I looked at the values. And we've been going through, and we've been doing them backwards. We're calling it Acts backwards, because I'm still a 13-year-old boy who chuckles inside. And so we started with Ascending Sunday, and I'm all about sending. Let's go on. Let's get our hands dirty. We talked about transformation and how God loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there, and how he wants to transform us into the image he created us to be, to love better, to be filled with the fruits of joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness. We said, yeah, transformation, that's real. He talks about community and how God wants to bring the family of God together to be the family of God together. Right? But then this last one, A, stands for adventure. And when I was debating the call, I kid you not, I kind of rolled my eyes. And I'm like, adventure? Really? Are we really on an adventure? Or are we just living in the suburbs, doing our best we can, which is fine. Like, there's no judgment in that, right? But is adventure really something that's biblical? Or is it kind of just another invention of modern Christianity? Is it a value that we have in modernity Hey, adventures are cool. We like them. So let's project that onto Scripture. Right? And we do this with all kinds of stuff. And this was something I really wrestled with. Was adventure biblical, or was it something that we, as the modern church, decided we wanted, and so we were going to find some way to put it into Scripture? But the more you look at Scripture, in fact, when you look at following Christ, when you look at the early church, they actually did go on an adventure with God. Something powerful happened. And using just a broad definition, right? The almighty Google says an adventure defined is an unusual and exciting, typically hazardous experience or activity. And what we're going to see through the life of the Apostle Paul, one of the earliest Christians, the reason why we are all here in this room is because the Apostle Paul helped plant churches, which is something we're pretty passionate about here at Acts all across the Roman world, which went on to plant churches, which went on to plant churches, which eventually started planting churches in Axe Lakeway, and then who planted Axe Leander, and we have church plants beneath us, right? This all started because Paul went on this exciting, typically hazardous experience or activity, right? It's in Scripture. In fact, it's in the book of Acts. 
the commission in the book of Acts, the last thing Jesus tells his disciples is, but you, disciple folk, Jesus folk, follower folk, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and in fact to the ends of the earth. We talk about here at Acts that you could insert, you will be my witnesses in North Austin, and in Texas, and in the United States, and to the ends of the earth. That's the context. There is this sending aspect of the adventure with God. There is a travel plan that comes with it. Because wherever you go, he says, I'm going to go with you. And this power is going to go with you. And this beauty is going to go with you. All right? We're on an adventure with God. But that said, we've got to kind of define, well, what is that adventure? What does it look like? What are the parameters of it? Jesus defined his mission in John. This is the why of why Jesus came. Right? The what of what Jesus did was he was the son of God, fully God, fully man, shows up, lives for us, teaches us, fights for us, dies on the cross for our sins, and raises back to life again. That is what he did. But that's not why he did it. This is a distinction here. Sometimes we look at the life of Christ and we think this is the why. It's not the why. The why is here. He says, the thief comes to still kill, and destroy but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. That's why Jesus came. The reason why Jesus showed up in the first place, the reason why Jesus advocated and fought for people and died for your sins was that you may have life and life to the full. Life abundantly, some scripture says, or some translations say. That's what God's after. But again, we as Christians have to kind of talk through what type of life he's describing because there are some myths that are out there that you will see the Christian church talk about. About if you are going to have life abundantly, this is what it's going to look like. And myth number one is that following Jesus is going to give you the correct codes to the cosmic vending machine that God has set up. All right? So it works like this. Let's say you're sick. If you're following Jesus in the right way, you're going to know the codes to punch into the vending machine to make yourself feel better. Oh, let's say you want this job, or you want this spouse, or you want to go to this college, or you want whatever X is. Well, if you're really following Jesus, the cosmic vending machine is for you. And he's going to teach you how to punch in the right codes, right? And it's going to pop out, and whatever your desire was, whatever that thing that you think is going to give you life, right? That's what you're going to get. But when you look through the New Testament, that is not the life and the promise that God gives his church. In fact, when you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, and that's where our scripture reading came from today, his life was not full of sunshine and roses all the times. In the book of Corinthians, he's writing to the church in Corinth, and there's this debate of whether or not there is a hierarchy of Christians. Are there such things like super-Christians that are more Christian than other Christians, that are more connected to God, that are loved more than God, right? And they were going around, and Paul would start a church, and they'd kind of like follow after him. And they'd be like, oh, you heard level one of Christianity. Let me talk to you about level two of Christianity, right? 
And there's this whole debate that's going on, and they're saying we're better than Paul is. And Paul dismisses the argument. He goes, guys, it's not about who's better, right? But if you want a case study of what it looks like to follow God, Paul writes, look at my life. And that's the context of this, right? So he starts off, he says, you've been putting up with people who are exploiting you or have been taking advantage of you. They boast about what they've done, right? And Paul says, you want to talk about boasting? You want to see what the life of following Christ looked like? He goes, this is what it looks like. He goes, I'm a Hebrew, I'm an Israelite, I've got all the right genes, right? I come from the right family, I've worked harder. But then, all of a sudden, that cosmic vending machine seems to be spitting out the wrong stuff, right? I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, I've been exposed to death again and again. It's like, Paul, I don't think you're punching in the right numbers, right? That's not what life following Jesus is going to look like. And then he goes on, and it almost gets laughable. And I don't mean to laugh at Paul, because this is horrible stuff, but it's, it, it's, it's, it, it's laughable, all right? Five times he said, I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. In ancient times, 40 lashes was the death penalty. So it was common thought that if you were taken, literally, you, they'd bend you over, they'd take your back off, they'd take this rope, and they would just start beating you. It was with this rope filled with all kinds of uh, nails, and ugh, right? And it was said that if you took 40 of them, you would die. So there was a punishment that wasn't execution. It was called 40 lashes minus one. So bring you right to the point of death, and then stop. That happened to Paul five times. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I don't know why I like that one the most, but that's the one I smile and giggle at every time. All right. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, bandits, my fellow Jews, from the Gentiles. In danger when I'm in the city, in danger when I'm in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labeled and I've toiled and I've gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I daily face the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak that I am not weak and who is led into sin that I don't inwardly burn? Paul wasn't a super apostle, but he was a follower of Christ. We're here in this room because of what he did, how he lived, what he was willing to sacrifice. And his life was not all roses. Right? There, was, there was some hurt there. There were some challenges there. There was some suffering there. So the myth of following God is going to give you the good life, it, it doesn't connect. Right? But there's a counter myth that's out there. And the countermyth is, actually, no, God doesn't want you to succeed. God wants you to suffer. Because in your suffering, then you'll really prove if you're a follower of his. Then you'll really be a disciple. And so God's kind of up there just throwing challenge after challenge, hurricane after hurricane, problem after problem, because he wants to test to see if you're really good enough. But that's, that's not scripture either. That's not our father either. And in fact, it's realizing that he's our father that we start to understand what kind of God that we're dealing with. Jesus says this in Matthew. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? 
If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We have a God who is not up there looking at us like his little marionette dolls, trying to make us dance, trying to make us whatever. We have a Father who is good and loving and who sees us in our need and provides and promises presence and love. And it doesn't mean that we're always going to get what we want, get what we think we need in a present moment, right? I want this out of the vending machine. It might not be the time for it. God might have something else in store for it, but he is your father and he is good and he is trustworthy. And if you ever doubt how trustworthy he is, well, then look no further than how far he will go to have a relationship with you. Look no further than the what he was willing to do. God says, I love you so much, I will die for you. I will pour myself out. I will be humiliated. I will take the lashes. I will take the beating. I will take the execution. Just so you know how far I will go to have a relationship. How far I will go to fight for you and advocate for you and give you that life and life to the full. That's the God that we have. That's the God who is saying, this is the adventure I want to take you on. And when we talk about what that adventure looks like, well, typically the best place to start when you're looking for something good in Scripture is go to the beginning. Go before sin and our pride and all of our junk got in the way. And you start to see what was God's original intent for humanity. And you see that in Genesis. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that God made move along the ground. So God created mankind, you and me, in his image. In the image of God, he created all of us, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and he said, be fruitful, increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. When God creates the world, he says, I want you to be explorers. He says, I'm going to create this world for you. I want you to fill it. I want you to go everywhere I created. I want you to see the Pacific Ocean and the Grand Canyon. God created the world to be our playground. Our father built the world's biggest playground. He says, I want you to experience it. I want this to be yours. That was the original intent, explorers. But not just explorers. He says, I want you to rule over it, but not as tyrants, not as oppressors. That word rule in scripture is the same world where he rules over us as a loving father who caretakes us and brings out the best in us. I don't want you just to explore and see things. I want you to manage them and caretake them. Right? But then beyond that, he says, I'm going to build you in my image, the image of a creator. Which means that we were created to create. We reflect God when we build things. When we make things beautiful. When we sing. When we write. When we draw. When we create, we are reflecting the creator. That's the adventure that we were called to be on. But one of the things that you'll notice in this is that these are all corporate communal adventures, 
Right? Something that we can kind of fall into the trap of is thinking that God has an individual adventure just for me when all of a sudden it becomes about me. And as when we see in Scripture, if it's ever all about you, you're probably sinning, right? And that doesn't mean God doesn't want you to take care of yourself and nurture yourself. No, 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 no. Self-care is a good thing. Love your neighbor as yourself is a curse if you're not supposed to love yourself, right? But that's different than making it all about yourself. And so this adventure is meant to be communal. It's meant to be beautiful. It's meant to be something we do together. As the family of God, as families in blood, as communities to explore, to caretake, and to create, right? But what does that look like? What does that look like when you have two brands of paper towel and you're in the daily grind, and we leave here feeling all energized and like, yes, I'm on an adventure for God. And then you got to go fill up the gas tank, right? Or then you got to go back to work, and you show up, and there's 30 emails, and you're like, son of a monkey, did this again? Really, this? This is it? What does that look like? Well, again, learning from the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church in Philippi. And this is where he writes things like, do not worry about anything, but pray about anything, everything. This is where he says, think about what is lovely and pure and good and noble and praiseworthy. But he's also writing from a place where he's in jail. One of those times he's in prison. In fact, not only is he in jail, but he's on his way to go meet with Caesar. He was a Roman citizen. He had that right but typically, if you exercise that right to meet and make your case before Caesar, it meant you were about to die. And Paul would eventually die. Right? And so in that space, in that headspace, in that cosmic vending machine giving him this situation, this is what he writes. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it's like to have plenty. In fact, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, because I can endure all through him who gives me strength. You see, whether he was in plenty or in need, whether he was in prison or hanging out on the patio, whether he was exploring the Grand Canyon or at Walmart debating which paper towel to buy, he says, if I'm connected to God, I can endure all things. I can manage all things. Whatever situation comes, he goes, when I'm connected to God, that's where the adventure happens. That's where the beauty happens. That's where the strength happens. There's a quote that I read a while ago, and as I was wrapping up this message, I'm like, ah, this is, this is it. This is the heart. It comes from J.K. Chesterton. And he says this. He says, because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, and the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. All of us have experienced this, right? You've got a little kid, and you throw him up in the air, and they're like, do it again. And you're like, yeah, do it again, yeah. And then your arms start to get a little bit heavy, and they just keep saying, do it again, do it again. And you're like, this is torture. This is literal torture. Why do you want this repeated over and over and over again? But for grown-up people, we're not strong enough to exalt in repetition. 
but perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in it. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all the daisies alike. It may be that God, want, that God makes every daisy separately, but has not, never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and we've grown old. And our father is younger than we. You see, God is eternal. But not only eternal in time, but eternal in sight. And so the first time God created a sunrise is just as beautiful to him as the sunrise that happens today or that will happen in a thousand years. That joy, that delight of seeing things fresh and new and alive is something that comes from our Father. And when we are connected to him, we get to share in that. How sin ages us starts to actually turn back time. And then we get the gift of the present. And guys, hear me clearly. If you want to go on an adventure with God, it happens in the present. The lie of Satan is one day when you don't have something, you'll do something else. One day when you don't have kids, that's when the adventure will start. Or one day when you don't have a mortgage. Or one day when you have this job. Or one day... I'll see things differently. And the promise of God is, no, here and now, I want to show you things differently. Here and now, I want you to have life and life abundantly because I am the source of life. I am eternal. And because I am eternal, that life spreads here and now, and that's where the adventure is. And so we get both the gift of the present. In this moment, I get to be connected to the source of life. And he says, now follow me, and I'm going to take you different places. You're going to experience different things, and that's where the adventure comes from. Both the beauty of the present, but realizing that the present is going to lead you somewhere. Places you never thought you'd go. Paul had no idea the impact he was going to have before he met Jesus. He had a very small vision of his life. And Jesus shows up, rocks the boat, and all of a sudden, Paul goes on an adventure that is literally made of summer Hollywood blockbusters. There's shipwrecks and there's imprisonments, but there's also joy in watching people raised from the dead, seeing God move, being so full of life and love that everywhere Paul went, just like everywhere Jesus went, new communities of God were formed that we, here today, 2,000 years later, are still benefiting from because he was connected to the God of life. And he lived in the present, content. It changed everything else. So we're going to connect to God. Communion literally means community union. Sacrament literally means sacred moment. A moment where God says, I want to connect to you, and I want to connect you to each other as well. A moment where we get to be present with God, and we get to be present with each other. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.